If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 15. The Gospel of Mark chapter 15. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, there should be one located uh, in a pew back in front of you, and you can take. In the front of that, there's a table of contents. Uh, If you look in the New Testament, Mark is the second book in the New Testament, and we'll be looking and starting this morning in Mark chapter 15. You know, in our increasingly secular society, people are less and less familiar with the Bible and Bible stories. I read about a pastor who was invited to a local elementary school uh, as they were doing a section on different faiths and different religions. Uh, So he was invited to come in and speak about Christianity, and it just so happened that it was during the Easter season. And so this pastor came in and he said, hey, how many of you, can anybody tell me what Easter is? A little boy blurted out and said, yeah, that's when we get together and we eat turkey and we say what we're thankful for that year. Pastor said, no, 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 that's Thanksgiving. And a little girl raised her hand and the pastor called on her and said, honey, what is, what is Easter? And she said, is that the one where we celebrate Jesus' birth and we give gifts, remembering that God gave us a gift? And the pastor said, well, you're getting warmer because Easter is about Jesus, but you're thinking of Jesus' birth at Christmas, not the Easter season. Finally, a little girl raised her hand and she said, Easter is a Christian holiday that coincides with the Jewish festival of Passover. Jesus had a Passover feast with his disciples and was then betrayed by Judas, and the Romans arrested him. The Romans hung him on a cross, and eventually he died, and they buried him in a tomb behind a very large rock. Very good, the pastor said. Before he could continue, the little girl added, and now every year the Jews roll the boulder back and Jesus comes out, and if he sees his shadow, we have six more weeks of winter. (laughs) And the pastor fainted right there on the spot. But let there be no confusion today that Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is about the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. He has risen from the dead, he has conquered sin, and he is living and moving and working in the lives of people, and he will one day return to rule the universe for all of eternity. And we celebrate the culmination of all those promises on this day, Easter and Resurrection Sunday. Paul tells us that if the resurrection didn't happen, then we as believers are to be pitied above all men. Because he says we have no hope if the resurrection didn't happen. Because Jesus said this is the culminating, this is the, the, the ultimate promise of all that I've said to you is true. I will die and be resurrected from the dead three days later. So if the resurrection didn't happen, it casts a shadow of doubt and we can't trust any of Jesus' promises or his teachings. That is how important the resurrection is to our faith. If the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is pointless, Paul says. But our faith isn't pointless because Jesus did arise from the dead. And so this morning, I want to talk about three degrees of separation or three obstacles that stood between us and having a relationship with God until Jesus' death and resurrection, where God removed these three degrees of separation. Any of you ever heard the phrase six degrees of separation? That, that a phrase you're familiar with? If not, maybe you know it's cousin six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Maybe that's a l- little more common in your mind. Well, six degrees of separation is a theory stating that in spite of the size of the earth and how many people are here, that every person can be connected to every other person through just six interpersonal relationships. 
And you may say, what? But let me ask you this. Have you ever traveled somewhere on vacation or a trip several hours away, maybe to the other side of our, our country, something like that? And in, in the course of your time there in, in conversing with people, you met someone who knows someone that you know. You ever had that happen? Usually we start going, it's a small world after, you know, we go, wow, that's just strange that we would be this far away and meet somebody that we would know. Well, that's the idea of six degrees of separation. And Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon is a game where you connect two actors or actresses within six movies because they all started with Kevin Bacon. A fascinating waste of time if you're ever looking for one. But this morning, I don't want to talk about personal interconnectedness among people, but I want to talk about our connection to God. That there are three things that through Jesus' death and resurrection, he removed that we might come and have a relationship with God and be called, the Bible says, his very children. So let's look in Mark chapter 15 to see the first barrier that God removed in our becoming one of his children. Mark 15 verse 37 says this, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now this curtain that's talking about here being torn in two tells us that we have access to God. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we have access to God. This curtain separated the Holy of Holies. It was called the inner sanctuary, uh, and it separated the, the, the inner part of the temple from the rest of the temple where people would come and offer sacrifices uh, and offerings to God. In Old Testament times, this Holy of Holies or any inner sanctuary housed the Ark of the Covenant, the place which held the mercy seat where God would symbolically manifest his presence among the Israelites. So in this small room, uh, which was uh, surrounded by this curtain, was God who was infinitely holy and righteous and pure, totally, completely, totally and completely without sin. God's presence dwelt in that place among his people. And so this large ornate curtain with folds after folds of material, some speculate that it was as high as 80 feet high, separated the place where God symbolically dwelt from people who were coming and going in the outer areas of the temple. And it did that because God in his holiness and righteousness can have nothing to do with sin. That if a sinful, unholy, unrighteous person entered into his presence, they were killed instantly. Because of God's holiness and his righteousness and God's decree that sin must be punished by death. So if sin entered his presence, that person that brought it in was killed instantly. And so this curtain was there as a protection for the people, a barrier to keep God and his righteousness from lashing out and striking them dead on the spot. But every year, one day a year, a high priest would go and he would go through this curtain. He would tie a rope around his waist first and go through this curtain. You know why the rope was there? Because if he didn't purify himself and he walked in and God struck him down, who was going in after him? All right? And nobody. So they, they drug him out literally by the rope. And so this high priest would go in uh, with blood and he would sprinkle that blood on the altar as a way of making atonement for the sins of the priest, but also the people uh, of the nation as a whole. But now we see in Mark chapter 15 that at the moment of Jesus' death, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two, split wide open, it says, from top to bottom. It was God's way of saying that because of the death of my son, Jesus Christ, there is now access to my holy presence. He paid the full price for your sins, for the sins of all people, so everyone who trusts in him can now come directly to 
me. That's what the tearing of this curtain tells us and helps us understand. But now don't misunderstand me here. Sin is still a problem for us, especially if we do nothing about our sin. Never underestimate the damage that sin can do and the impact it can have upon your life and your eternity. One of my most embarrassing moments came when I was in college. Shelly and I had been dating. They'd had a really bad snow and ice storm in Kentucky. I mean, it shut the whole state down for a week. We were in college, didn't have classes for a week. We were cooped up in the dorm just trying to, you know, kill time day after day. So late in that week, we decided, man, we are going to get out just to get some fresh air, see some sights, and, you know, just do something. So we went to to a local department store. That was the height of it that day. We're going to go to the department store. So we get out, we, we pull into the parking lot, and they had taken and they had piled the snow up at the, the front of the parking spots. We were still dating, and so I wanted to show Shelly that I was brave and adventurous and macho, because I am all those things, you know. And no, Not that I needed to prove it or anything, but uh, so we pulled in this lot, and we're heading to one of these, uh, these uh, banks of snow there, and I thought, this will be cool. And so I stepped on the gas to go a little bit faster toward this. In my mind up here, we were going to hit that snow bank and this big, huge cloud of snow was going to burst forth. And then my little, uh, my little Horizon TC3 was going to bounce over this thing. We were going to give a, uh, you know, a big Dukes of Hazard, yee-haw, come flying through this big cloud of snow. And I was going to cut the wheel, do a few donuts and slide us right into a parking space, you know. That was in my mind. In the real world... That snow had melted a little bit each day and then refrozen at night. And it wasn't a snow bank, it was like an ice bank, if you will. And so we hit the bump that I thought we were going to hit. But as soon as my little front wheels got in the air and the frame of my car hit that snow, that uh, ice that was there and got stuck, we weren't going anywhere. My wheels were just spinning several inches off the ground. Yeah, that was really embarrassing. So we pondered what we were going to do and decided we were going to go into the store and just as I'm walking through going, what am I going to do? And get a hairdryer and go out and, you know, melt the, I don't know what I'm going to do. So we're in the store and I see some football players from, from our college there. I was like, ah, oh, that's great. You know, big muscle bound guys. So I went up and, you know, just as embarrassed as you can imagine, like, can you guys come and help me push my car off the ice bank? What's your car doing on ice bank? Never mind, you know. So we did that. And, and part of the lesson the Lord taught me in that day in, in extra humility was the fact that one of those football players was a guy that Shelly had dated just before she started going out with me. So it was really, really, really a bad day. I, I, I Just trust me, not, not pleasant. But I tell you that to say sin is a dangerous thing. And sin can be a big obstacle. And it will do things we never thought it would do and bring damage and hurt and pain that we didn't foresee. Especially if left unchecked. You see, if we refuse to deal with our sin, it causes us to be eternally separated from God. Because God in his holiness and his righteousness and his purity can have nothing to do with sin ever and so we, were, we are separated from him if we do not deal with our sins. And so these priests would come in and they would sprinkle blood on the altar uh, as a way of making atonement for their sins. But now Jesus, God's son who was without sin, came and died on the cross. Because God had said the punishment of sin is death. And Jesus died. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus shed his blood that we could be forgiven. And the curtain was torn in two to show that all men can approach God. But you see, we still have to be forgiven of our sins to do so. 
And John tells us that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us, he says, of all unrighteousness. Then we can have a relationship with God and we can become, according to John chapter 1 verse 12, the very children of God. When the curtain was torn in two, one degree of separation was removed that we can come to God through Jesus Christ. Well, I want you to look at Mark chapter 16 to see the second degree of separation, the second barrier that God removed so that we could come to him. Mark 16 verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. You see, these large stones were set in grooves that were dug on the ground, and they were used to cover the entrances to tombs. And they did that, and the tombs were accessible because multiple people would be buried in these same tombs. They were big holes that they dug in the walls uh, of these mountains and the rock that was there. They would dig these big holes and bury several bodies in there. So obviously they need to be able to get in, put a body in, and roll the stone back and leave it there, and then be able to get back in in the future when they needed to. But the stone also, they were made very large so that robbers wouldn't come by and, and steal and vandalize tombs in any way. And in a mortifying but very real and practical way, they were there to keep the odor from a decaying body uh, from coming out and, and being where people were. And so the women knew this. They had followed them there on Friday when they put Jesus' body in the tomb and had rolled the stone there. They were worried on the way saying, who's going to move this big stone? I mean, there were a couple of them, but they, they just didn't think and knew that they weren't going to be strong enough to roll this stone out of the way. Because they wanted to go and finish preparing Jesus' body for burial because they had to do it so quickly on Friday because the Sabbath approached and they weren't able to, to finish that task. But Matthew records that, that that morning, early on that morning, there was an earthquake and an angel came and rolled the stone away from the entrance to that tomb. Now some people say, and they say, well, well the angel came and rolled the stone away so that Jesus could get out. Uh, hello? Jesus had performed all kinds of miracles. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. He, he fed thousands of people with just a little bit of fish. I mean, he had done all kinds of miracles. And now in his greatest miracle possible, Jesus had resurrected from the dead after being dead for three days. I mean, it's the greatest miracle there. Do you think that Jesus woke up in his new resurrected glorified body and went, now how am I going to get out of this big hole I'm in? No, the, the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let people in so that they could come and see he's not here. He's risen. He's not dead. He's alive. The stone was moved for the people to be able to come and see and have their, their faith uh, strengthened and believe that Jesus had indeed resurrected from the dead. And this tells us, this is the very removal for us, that nothing can keep us from God. Nothing is able to keep you from coming to God and being forgiven of your sins and becoming one of his children. I don't care how big, how overwhelming or insurmountable the obstacle may seem, God can move it aside so you can come to him through Jesus Christ. 
And there are a lot of obstacles that people allow to keep them from coming and fully surrendering themselves to God. Oftentimes, people have the obstacle of knowledge. They have questions and doubts about about what it means to be a believer or some of the the Bible's teachings or misunderstanding uh, about the Bible's teachings. Some people are a little more skeptical in nature that they've heard about these supposed contradictions in the Bible or they have questions about God's character uh, and about God's nature. And these things keep them from surrendering themselves to Christ. But do you know the solution for all of these, these issues of knowledge and questions that we have? Ask. If you have questions, if you have doubts, if there are misunderstandings, ask a believer in Jesus Christ. Find a believer that you know and ask these questions. Now, I'll tell you, a lot of believers in our churches went, did he just say that people should come and ask me questions? Yes, I did. Because... The Bible says that God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have no fear of questions. There are are no questions to be afraid of. God is the source of all knowledge and all understanding. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to guide us into this knowledge and understanding. So ask those questions. And believers, let me calm your nerves a little bit. God knows everything. You don't. And you don't have to, okay? It is perfectly fine for you to tell somebody, yeah, I'm not real sure about that. Give me some time to research it, to, to do some work, and then I'll help find out. And then do some research. I mean, call, call our office, call the pastors. We all the time are talking with people and helping answer questions and, and doing research of Bible questions and things related to the faith. We love doing that. You can do a Google search. It's amazing what you find on the internet. Be careful of the sources that are there. There's some real junk out there that you'll find, but, but uh, it's got some great tools and some resources for you there, but ask these questions and look to God and look to God's word for answers. And God will will give you the understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit. But another obstacle that people have, and and, and I really feel like this one is a lot more more trying for us, is, is dealing with difficulties and hardships in life. Because we all have difficulties. We all experience hardships and we don't understand why we're going through these things. We don't understand why things have happened the way they've happened. But I want you to know that it's okay to bring those things to God, to bring your emotions and your feelings, even if they're they're feelings of anger or bitterness and resentment, bring those things to God. God can handle them. Even if you're coming to God as you simply shaking your fist to heaven and saying, why? Why me? Why now? Why this situation? God can deal with it. He's big enough to handle you pouring those things out to him. And here's the thing. God is the only one who can give you the answers you're looking for in the first place. And if you allow these, this anger and this doubt and these frustrations to pull you away from him, then you cut yourself off from the one who can give you the answers that, that you're looking and longing for. It would be like us getting mad at the electric company because they raise their rates, raise our rates, and going, you know what, I'm just going to unplug all my stuff. That'll show them. (laughs) So we unplug everything in our house and then go, none of my stuff works right. Well, of course it doesn't work right. It's not plugged into the power source. And God is able, through his power and his strength and the presence of his Holy Spirit, to help take away some of those feelings and and to help draw you close to him and wrap his arms of love around you and remind you that he loves you, that he still has a will and a plan for your life, and that he will help you through those difficult situations that you're experiencing. Now, I've got to be fair and totally honest with you here to say this. You may not get an answer from God as to why something has happened or is happening in your life. 
And I have to tell you that God may not take away all of your hurt and the pain that you're experiencing. We experience tragedies and difficulties in life uh, that, that cause so much pain and hurt and sorrow that it never fully goes away. When you lose a loved one and go through some difficult situations, it always hurts when you think about it. There's always a pain and a gnawing sense of sorrow and of grief and of hurt that is there. And the consequences of sinful decisions by others or, or that we make can leave scars and cause heartache and pain that will be with us all the days of our lives. But if we don't take those things to God, then, then we won't experience his power, his healing, or his strength to help us through the difficult times that do creep into our lives. And make no mistake about it, they will come into your life. None of us are immune to hardships and difficulties in this life. But when we open up our hearts and we pour out that hurt and that pain to God, the healing can begin. It's like having an infected wound, maybe a hangnail or a small cut. You all have had those before, haven't you? I mean, your finger gets sore, it swells up, it's all red and, and puffy, and you hit it on something, you know, maybe a desk or a door, and oh, it just, your eyes water with pain. It hurts so bad. Just to be such a small cut, this isn't the big deal. It was a hangnail, for goodness sake. But it hurts. What do you have to do? You got to open that thing up. You got to get that infection out of there so the healing process can begin in your life. It hurts to do that. It's not fun to take that, that needle or scalpel or whatever doctors will use when you go or just do it at home and, and uh, self-treat yourself. It, it hurts to do that. But when you open up and relieve that pressure and get that infection out of there, the healing process begins. And when we pour out our hearts to God, we may not get all of our questions answered, but we can be reminded of the promises from God's word. And the truth that it brings to our lives and the difference it can make in the midst of these situations. A couple of the promises that God often brings to our mind. Number one, God loves you. No matter how difficult your circumstance or dark the situation may be, never forget that God loves you. Secondly, remember that God is always with you. He's promised in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And he told his disciples in Matthew 28 after his, erection, his uh, resurrection and before his ascension into heaven, he said, I am, all, I am with you always. Remember that God's ways are higher than our ways. We simply won't know or understand why God does all the things that he does, why he allows to happen all that he allows to happen. We live in a sinful world, and one of the byproducts of living in this sinful world is that we face hardships and difficulties. But we're reminded, number four, that God's grace will see us through every difficulty and hardship we face in life. God told the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest believers of our faith, wrote over half of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what that is, but we know that Paul prayed at least on three occasions that God would remove this thorn from his flesh. And you know what God said to him? My grace is sufficient for you. He didn't take it away. He didn't remove that thorn in his flesh. He told Paul, it's going to stay there. Paul, you rely upon me and my strength, my grace will get you through dealing with this thorn in the flesh. And in those verses after that, Paul said, therefore, I boast in my weakness, not because of me, but because of God, because when I am weak, then he is strong. 
Yeah, so God says, my grace is with you. And I'm weak, but he's strong. Therefore, we are going to get through this thing. And finally, we can remember that with God's power and strength, we can overcome anything. We can overcome anything with God's power and his strength, both in this life and into eternity. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus didn't say you may, or there's a strong possibility that you might have trouble. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But there's not a period after the word trouble. There's a comma. In this world, you will have trouble, but, he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And because of his power working in you through the Holy Spirit, you too can overcome those difficulties and hardships that you face. So I ask this morning, what obstacles are you allowing to stand between you and God? Would you confess, would you acknowledge those obstacles and allow God to roll them away so you can come to him and experience all that he's promised in his word? God will remove every obstacle but one. And that obstacle is you. That obstacle is you. It is your decision whether or not you will place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. God has provided everything necessary for salvation. But God will not force you to place your faith and your trust in him. That's a decision that you and you alone can make. God tore the curtain in two to show that we can all come to him. God rolled the stone away so that we could experience his power, which was displayed through the resurrection in our lives. And the third degree or the third obstacle that we see that was separating us from God that was removed so that we could become his children is found in the gospel of John chapter 20. So if you flip about two books to your right, the gospel of John chapter 20. We know from the accounts of the resurrection that ladies got to the tomb. These women came who were going to prepare Jesus for burial first. And when they found that the tomb was empty, they were alarmed. They went running back to tell the disciples. They thought maybe someone had stolen the body. They didn't know if maybe the disciples had come and got the body for some reason. So they went back to see if they knew and and to see if they knew what was going on because they were alarmed. They still hadn't put together all that Jesus had said about him being resurrected from the dead. So in John chapter 20... Verse 3, we find out what happened when the disciples heard from the ladies that his body was in the tomb. It says, so Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple is John, the gospel writer. He refers to himself as the other disciple. Uh, So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. And I bet Peter heard about that later. Because we know that the apostles were always big on uh, who's greatest and who's least and who's fastest, all right? So he outran Peter, it says, and he reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, see, he's saying it again, behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who did what? Had reached the tomb first, Peter, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, these may look like minor details in the account of the resurrection, but they show us the last thing Jesus removed before showing himself to his followers. 
You may remember that Lazarus was resurrected from the dead in John chapter 11. In that passage, he got up, he he walked to the entrance of the tomb, maybe kind of waddled because he was still in the, the linens that were wrapped around him. And the Bible says in John 11 that the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So Lazarus came back to life from the dead, but he still needed somebody to unwrap him and get him out of the grave clothes because he was bound up by what he had been prepared in for burial. Contrast that with John 20, which says the strips of linen around Jesus' body were just lying there, indicating that Jesus' body had just gone through those strips of linen, just like uh, later he would appear to his disciples who were in a locked upper room, and it says that Jesus appeared in, uh, in the middle of them. And so his body went through, and the strips of linen are lying there. But notice that John said, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. This cloth, like the one that Lazarus had worn, was like an oversized uh, handkerchief, oblong. They would roll the ends, the top and the bottom, together, and then they would take those rolled up portions and they would tie it together on the sides of the head to cover the face of the person who had been deceased. And so John tells us that this was sitting over to the side, folded up separately by itself. The indication being that Jesus, after his resurrection, maybe he stood up or, or he sat up and he took that cloth off and he folded it up and he sat it next to him so that his followers, so that all would come to him, could see his face. So they, they could look into his eyes of love and mercy they could hear his voice say I love you I died for you now come and follow me take my yoke upon you because my my yoke is easy and my burden is light come follow me experience the full and the abundant life that I promised you the cloth was removed so that people could see the face of Jesus and kids to tell us that Jesus folded his own clothes, all right? Parents, thank you. You're, you're welcome for that right there. Pastor James Moore told of a young man whose wife had died, leaving him with a small son. The day of the funeral, the young man shared with the pastor that he went to bed early because he said there was just nothing else he could bear to do that day. And as he lay there in that darkness, grief-stricken and heartbroken, the little boy called out from his room, Daddy, where's Mommy? So the man got up and he brought the little boy to bed with him, but the boy was confused. He was very restless and kept asking questions. You know, why is she here? When's she coming back, Daddy? And he kept turning his head away because he didn't want his son to see him crying. And the boy had already lost his mom, and so just his dad not looking at him caused him to be even more anxious and to get more restless. But finally, he touched his dad on his arm, and he said, Daddy, if your face is toward me, I think I can go to sleep. And in just a little while, he was sleeping quietly. The dad lay there in the darkness, and then with childlike faith and with warm tears running down his cheek, he prayed, God, I don't know how I can survive this. The future looks so miserable. But if your face is toward me, somehow I think I can make it. And that's what Jesus came to teach us, that God's face is always toward us, never to be hidden again behind a curtain, behind a stone, behind a piece of cloth. Never will his face be hidden from us 
again. He also came to show us that you and God are in this together and nothing will happen in your life that that together the two of you can't manage. And it shows us that nothing will ever be able to separate you from his love. And the Bible says that to experience that love of God, you simply receive it. And you do that by confessing your sins, admitting that you've fallen short in obedience to God and to his word, by believing that Jesus died as a substitute to pay the price for your sins, and inviting Christ into your, to your heart and into your life to forgive you of your sins and to give you the gift of eternal life and then take up residence in your life through the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you and walk with you all the days of your life. You know, in just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, that you can pray that prayer built on those three things I just shared with you, and you can become one of God's children. But I want you to know the words aren't magic. It's not about the words. It's about the attitude of the heart because God sees that. Uh, And we don't just go through the motion and say words. We believe in our heart, and we make this confession to God, and God gives us the gift of eternal life. God makes us his very children. But many of you are already believers, but you realize, you know, you've got some room for growth in your walk with Christ. And I would encourage you today on this, this Resurrection Sunday to renew your commitment to Christ and to allow God to remove the things in your life that are hindering you and keeping you from experiencing the full and the abundant life that he promised through his son, Jesus Christ.